I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I have developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we'll be reading Numbers chapters 28 through 30. As Israel's preparing themselves to enter into Canaan to possess the land at this point in Numbers, it's important for them to have an impeccable relationship with God. Their prescribed offerings to God are restated here in Numbers chapters 28 and 29. That's to keep before them their dependence on God. In Numbers chapter 28, verses 1 through 8, we see their daily offerings. Verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel, and say unto them, My offering and my bread for my sacrifices made by fire, for a sweet savour unto me, shall ye observe to offer unto me in their due season. And thou shalt say unto them, This is the offering made by fire, which ye shall offer unto the Lord, two lambs of the first year without spot, day by day, for a continual burnt offering. The one lamb shalt thou offer in the morning, and the other lamb shalt thou offer at even. And a tenth part of an ephah of flour for a meat offering, mingled with the fourth part of an hen of beaten oil. It is a continual burnt offering, which was ordained in Mount Sinai for a sweet savor, a sacrifice made by fire unto the Lord. And the drink offering thereof shall be the fourth part of an hen for the one lamb. In the holy place shalt thou cause the strong wine to be poured unto the Lord for a drink offering. And the other lamb shalt thou offer at even, as the meat offering of the morning, and as the drink offering thereof, thou shalt offer it a sacrifice made by fire of sweet savor unto the Lord. So here's the deal. Every morning and evening a lamb had to be sacrificed. This was a communal offering made on behalf of the people. It's a restatement of the same sacrifices specified in Exodus chapter 29 verses 38 to 43. And that was on the occasion of the consecration of the newly erected tabernacle. Verse 4 here specifies, The one lamb shalt thou offer in the morning, and the other lamb shalt thou offer at even. That's two lambs a day. And why is that, you might ask? Well, there it is in verse 43 of Exodus chapter 29. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. Then we have the Sabbath offering specified here in verses 9 and 10. And on the Sabbath day, two lambs of the first year without spot, and two tenth deals of flour for a meat offering, mingled with oil, and the drink offering thereof. This is the burnt offering of every Sabbath, beside the continual burnt offering, and his drink offering. So, we see that everyone dwelling among the Israelites is required by this statute to observe the Sabbath. That was according to Exodus chapter 31, verses 12 to 18. Again, this is a communal offering made on behalf of the people. It involved the sacrifice of two or more lambs on each regular Sabbath day. This additional offering on the Sabbath is specified here for the first time. It's interesting to note here that the Sabbath day was not a day of corporate worship for the Hebrews, but rather it was a day of rest. Then we have the monthly offerings in verses 11 through 15. And in the beginnings of your months ye shall offer a burnt offering unto the Lord, two young bullocks and one ram, seven lambs of the first year without spot, and three-tenths deals of flour for a meat offering, 
mingled with oil for one bullock and two tenth deals of flour for a meat offering, mingled with oil for one ram. And the several tenth deals of flour mingled with oil for a meat offering unto one lamb, for a burnt offering of a sweet savor, a sacrifice made by fire unto the Lord. And the drink offering shall be half an hen of wine unto a bullock, and the third part of an hen unto a ram, and a fourth part of an hen unto a lamb. This is the burnt offering of every month throughout the months of the year. And one kid of the goats for a sin offering unto the Lord shall be offered beside the continual burnt offering and his drink offering. Now this is kind of interesting. The inclusion of a new moon offering only appears here in this chapter. The new moon began a new month for Israel. This communal offering is placed on par with other major festivals with the sacrifice of a larger number of valuable animals, two bulls, a ram, and seven sheep, and the addition of a sacrificial goat as a sin offering. Incidentally, the ancient calendar was an observational calendar based upon the appearance of a new moon to indicate the first day of the successive month. If you looked out your tent window one day and saw this sacrifice taking place, the old month was gone, and the new one had begun. Now, if you'd like to read more about the observational calendar that they used back in uh, those times, then you can check the right side of the written notes of BibleTrack.org for today's reading. There's an article there entitled The Jewish Calendar, or you can look for that article under the topic section of BibleTrack.org. In the remaining verses of Numbers chapter 28 and all of 29, we find specifications regarding all of the seven feasts or festivals, these were specified before back in Leviticus chapter 23. I've summarized those, by the way, in, um, in an article entitled Jewish Festivals, and you can find that under the topic section of BibleTrack.org. So rather than go through all of those specifications again, I'm just going to read the passage, and if you'd like to check those more closely, you'll find the chart under the topic section. Passovers specified here in Numbers chapter 28, verse 16. Again, it's a restatement. And in the 14th day of the first month is the Passover of the Lord. It's just given one verse here. The chart that I mentioned give you a complete overview. Incidentally, Nisan 14, Passover day, was not, I say, was not a no-work holiday. Next, we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the offerings accompanying that in verses 17 to 25. And in the fifteenth day of this month is the feast, seven days shall unleavened bread be eaten. In the first day shall be in a holy convocation, ye shall do no manner of servile work therein. Ye shall offer a sacrifice made by fire for a burnt offering unto the Lord, two young bullocks and one ram, and seven lambs of the first year, they shall be unto you without blemish. And their meat offering shall be of flour mingled with oil. Three-tenth deals shall ye offer for a bullock, and two-tenth deals for a ram. And several-tenth deals shalt thou offer for every lamb throughout the seven lambs. And one goat for a sin offering to make an atonement for you. Ye shall offer these beside the burnt offering in the morning, which is for a continual burnt offering. After this manner ye shall offer daily throughout the seven days the meat of the sacrifice made by fire, of a sweet savor unto the Lord, it shall be offered beside the continual burnt offering and his drink offering. And on the seventh day ye shall have an holy convocation, ye shall do no servile work therein. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is celebrated during the seven days after the Passover, 
We first saw it back in Exodus chapter 12, verses 14 to 20. This festival marked the beginning of the barley harvest, March-April time frame. Unleavened bread was made from the newly harvested grain without adding yeast and was eaten at the first sign of coming harvest that year. The first day of this seven-day festival and the seventh day were no work days. On the first day, two young bullocks, one ram, seven lambs of the first year were offered along with the goat. This is a communal offering and falls on the heels of the individual Passover lamb slain by each family the previous day. Then we have the offering for the Feast of Weeks. That's the offering or the festival known as Pentecost, beginning in verse 26 down through verse 31. Also, in the day of the first fruits, when you bring a new meat offering unto the Lord, after your weeks be out, ye shall have an holy convocation, ye shall do no several work. But ye shall offer the burnt offering for a sweet savor unto the Lord, two young bullocks, one ram, seven lambs of the first year. And their meat offering of flour mingled with oil, three tenth deals into one bullock, two tenth deals into one ram, a several tenth deal into one lamb throughout the seven lambs, and one kid of the goats to make an atonement for you. Ye shall offer from beside the continual burnt offering and his meat offering, they shall be unto you without blemish and their drink offerings. This festival is also called the Day of First Fruits, celebrating the end of the barley harvest. And it was also known as Pentecost. It fell 50 days after the regular Sabbath day of the week following the Passover. That made it always on a Sunday. That 50 caused it to inherit the name Pentecost in the Greek language to indicate its reference to the Passover. The Hebrew word for weeks here is the same word used by Daniel in referencing the weeks of years in Daniel chapter 9 verses 24 to 27. Therefore, to put this into perspective, this day fell exactly seven days or 49 days after the Feast of Firstfruits. Both of them were on a Sunday. So to call it the Feast of Sevens rather than the Feast of Weeks, well, that gives you a better idea of how it got its name. It gets a lot of attention in Scripture. Exodus chapter 23, verse 16, Leviticus 23, 15 to 21 Deuteronomy 16, verses 9 through 12, all of those reference this Feast of Weeks. You may also recall the big happenings in Acts chapter 2 on this very day when the Holy Spirit was manifest and the church in Jerusalem was established. This festival was the first big gathering of Jews after the crucifixion which had taken place on the Passover. Another communal offering was made consisting of two young bullocks, one ram, seven lambs of the first year, along with a goat. And then we have chapter 29, where we see the offerings for the Feast of Trumpets in verses 1 through 6. And in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, ye shall have an holy convocation. Ye shall do no several work. It is a day of blowing the trumpets unto you. And ye shall offer a burnt offering for a sweet savor unto the Lord, one young bullock, one ram, and seven lambs of the first year without blemish. And their meat offering shall be of flour mingled with oil, three-tenth deals for a bullock and two-tenth deals for a ram, and one-tenth deal for one lamb throughout the seven lambs, and one kid of the goats for a sin offering to make an atonement for you, beside the burnt offering of the month and his meat offering, and the daily burnt offering and his meat offering, and their drink offerings according to their manner for a sweet savor, a sacrifice made by fire unto the Lord. So here we have that on the first day of the seventh month, the trumpets were sounded according to 
Leviticus chapter 23, verses 23 to 25. This was the first month of the civil year, and it was also a no-work day. We had a few verses dedicated to these trumpets back in Numbers chapter 10, verses 1 to 10. Offerings were the same as for the first two feasts, except that only one young bull was sacrificed. Then we have the offerings for the Day of Atonement in Numbers chapter 29, verses 7 through 11. Again, there's a festival chart under the topic section of BibleTrack.org that summarizes all of these, but now we're reading verses 7 through 11 of Numbers chapter 29. And ye shall have on the tenth day of this seventh month an holy convocation, and ye shall afflict your souls, ye shall not do any work therein. But ye shall offer a burnt offering unto the Lord for a sweet savor, one young bullock, one ram, and seven lambs the first year. They shall be unto you without blemish. And their meat offerings shall be of flour mingled with oil, three-tenth deals to a bullock, and two-tenth deals to one ram. A several-tenth deal for one lamb throughout the seven lambs. One kid of the goats for a sin offering, beside the sin offering of atonement and the continual burnt offering, and the meat offering of it, and their drink offerings. Well, on the tenth day of the seventh month, the Jews observed the Day of Atonement. That's also known as Yom Kippur. This is the day of celebration when all sin was put away, according to Leviticus chapter 16, verses 1 to 34. Its observance is also specified in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 26 to 32. This was the only occasion in the year when the high priest could enter into the most holy place, otherwise known as the Holy of Holies. And the whole congregation fast in verse 7 here, where they're told to afflict your souls. That phrase is used to indicate a fast in Isaiah chapter 58 also. And they were also to refrain from work on this day. It was, in fact, an old work day. I should add here quite an interesting note with regard to this Yom Kippur or Day of Atonement. The Ark of the Covenant disappeared prior to Jerusalem's fall in 586 B.C. So in Jesus' day, there was no mercy seat in the Holy of Holies of the Temple. We're told by extra-biblical sources that there was just a big rock there. Today's Jews don't even have a temple, not one at all. All that remains of this special day, this day known as Yom Kippur, well, is just the fasting. No sacrificing animals is done on this day. It's still observed by most practicing Jews, but quite differently from the pattern observed and specified here in the Scripture. Then we have the offering for the Feast of Tabernacles in verses 12 through 40. And on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, you shall have an holy convocation. You shall do no several work, and you shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. And you shall offer a burnt offering, a sacrifice made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. Thirteen young bullocks, two rams, and fourteen lambs of the first year. They shall be without blemish. And their meat offerings shall be of flour mingled with oil. Three-tenth deals unto every bullock of the thirteen bullocks. Two-tenth deals to each ram of the two rams and a several-tenth deal to each lamb of the fourteen lambs, and one kid of the goats for a sin offering, beside the continual burnt offering, his meat offering, and his drink offering. And on the second day ye shall offer twelve young bullocks, two rams, fourteen lambs of the first year without spot, and their meat offering and their drink offerings for the bullocks, for the rams, and for the lambs, shall be according to their number after the manner. And one kid of the goats for a sin offering, beside the continual burnt offering, 
and the meat offering thereof, and their drink offerings. And on the third day, eleven bullocks, two rams, fourteen lambs of the first year without blemish, and their meat offering and their drink offerings for the bullocks, for the rams, and for the lambs shall be according to the number after the manner. And one goat for a sin offering beside the continual burnt offering, and his meat offering and his drink offering. And on the fourth day, ten bullocks, two rams, and fourteen lambs of the first year without blemish. Their meat offerings and the drink offerings for the bullocks, for the rams, and for the lambs shall be according to their number after the manner. And one kid of the goats for a sin offering, beside the continual burnt offering, his meat offering, and his drink offering. And on the fifth day, nine bullocks, two rams, and fourteen lambs of the first year without spot. And their meat offering and their drink offerings for the bullocks, for the rams, and for the lambs shall be according to their number after the manner. And one goat for a sin offering beside the continual burnt offering and his meat offering and his drink offering. And on the sixth day, eight bullocks, two rams, and fourteen lambs of the first year without blemish. And their meat offering and their drink offerings for the bullocks, for the rams, and for the lambs shall be according to their number after the manner. And one goat for a sin offering beside the continual burnt offering, his meat offering, and his drink offering. And on the seventh day, seven bullocks, two rams, and fourteen lambs of the first year without blemish. And their meat offering and their drink offerings for the bullocks, for the rams, and for the lambs shall be according to their number after the manner. And one goat for a sin offering, beside the continual burnt offering, his meat offering, and his drink offering. On the eighth day ye shall have a solemn assembly, ye shall do no several work therein. But ye shall offer a burnt offering, a sacrifice made by fire, of a sweet savour unto the Lord, one bullock, one ram, seven lambs of the first year without blemish. Their meat offering and their drink offerings for the bullock, for the ram, and for the lamb shall be according to their number after the manner. And one goat for a sin offering, beside the continual burnt offering, and his meat offering, and his drink offering. These things ye shall do unto the Lord in your set feast, beside your vows and your freewill offerings, for your burnt offerings, and for your meat offerings, and for your drink offerings, and for your peace offerings. And Moses told the children of Israel according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. Well, here's another no work day. It's on the 15th day of the seventh month. It's also referred to as the Feast of Booths, or by its Hebrew word designation, Sukkot. This was the final harvest of the year and occurred in the autumn prior to the onset of the rainy season, marking the beginning of a new agricultural year. This seven-day festival was also referred to as the Feast of Ingathering in Exodus chapter 23, verse 16. It's symbolized by the construction of booths. The first day of this festival was a no-work day. Offered were thirteen young bullocks, two rams, and fourteen lambs, along with a goat. Over the seven-day period, there are substantially more sacrifices made to commemorate this annual festival. We find more information about this festival in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 33 to 43. Of special interest here is verses 42 and 43 of Leviticus chapter 23. Here's what it says. Ye shall dwell in booths seven days. All that are Israelites born shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. They all stayed in these booths for seven days each year during this festival, and that was to commemorate their wanderings after the exodus from Egypt. Hey, that's a camping trip every year. This was also the day selected for the dedication of Solomon's temple over in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 65. 
When the exiles returned to Israel in Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 13 to 18, they determined to observe at that time this festival. Oh, there's one more significant thing about this particular festival. It will be kept in perpetuity, even after the millennium begins. We see that in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 16, which says, And it shall come to pass that every one that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, in chapter 30 of Numbers, we find some additional information about keeping vows. We saw that in Leviticus chapter 27, and here we find it again. Verse 1, And Moses spake unto the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. If a man vow a vow unto the Lord, or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word, and he shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. If a woman also vow a vow unto the Lord, and bind herself by a bond, being in her father's house in her youth, and her father hear her vow, and her bond wherewith she hath bound her soul, and her father shall hold his peace at her, then all her vows shall stand, and every bond wherewith she hath bound her soul shall stand. But if her father disallow her in the day that he heareth not any of her vows, or of the bonds wherewith she hath bound her soul shall stand, and the Lord shall forgive her, because her father disallowed her. And if she had it all in husband, when she vowed, or uttered aught out of her lips, wherewith she bound her soul, and her husband heard it, and held his peace at her in the day that he heard it, then her vow shall stand, and her bonds wherewith she bound her soul shall stand. But if her husband disallowed her on the day that he heard it, then he shall make her vow which she vowed, and that which she uttered with her lips, wherewith she bound her soul of none effect, and the Lord shall forgive her. But every vow of a widow and of her that is divorced, wherewith they have bound their souls, shall stand against her. And if she vowed in her husband's house, or bound her soul by a bond with an oath, and her husband heard it, and held his peace at her, and disallowed her not, then all her vows shall stand, and every bond wherewith she bound her soul shall stand. But if her husband hath utterly made them void on the day he heard them, then whatsoever proceedeth out of her lips concerning her vows, or concerning the bond of her soul, shall not stand. Her husband hath made them void, and the Lord shall forgive her. Every vow and every binding oath to afflict the soul, her husband may establish it, or her husband may make it void. But if her husband altogether hold his peace at her from day to day, then he establisheth all her vows, or all her bonds which are upon her. He confirmeth them, because he held his peace at her in the day that he heard them. But if he shall in any ways make them void after that he hath heard them, then he shall bear her iniquity. These are the statutes which the Lord commanded Moses between a man and his wife, between the father and his daughter, being yet in her youth in her father's house. Well, as I mentioned, we looked at the value of vows back in Leviticus chapter 27. Here in Numbers chapter 30, we see some criteria regarding vows. A vow given in Israel was a quite a serious matter. Note the declaration regarding a vow by, by a man in verse 2. It says, He shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. We see the subordinate position of women in Israel in verses 3 to 16. If a woman under her father's care uttered a vow, her father could void that vow if done so 
that day. Likewise, the husband of a married woman could also void a vow. Widows and divorced women must stand by their vows, period. That's in verse 9. We find a warning regarding vows in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 21 to 23. It says, When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it, for the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. But if thou shalt forbear to vow, it shall be no sin in thee, but that which has gone out of thy lips thou shalt keep and perform, even a freewill offering according as thou hast vowed unto the Lord thy God, which thou hast promised with thy mouth. Notice what Solomon said about these voluntary vows in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. Here's what he said. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow, than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Well, Samuel was Hannah's vow to God in 1 Samuel chapter 1. That was prior to her conception. She subsequently presented him to the high priest for service to God. Oh, man, and who can forget Jephthah's foolish vow, unscriptural vow, in Judges chapter 11. You'll notice that offering a human as a burnt offering was not, absolutely was not, part of the regulations of Leviticus chapter 27. It was clearly a violation of the law of Moses. While completely contrary to God's law, it does show us how seriously the Hebrews took their vows. To accentuate this point on vows, consider the vow that Joshua was deceived into accepting with regard to the Gibeonites in Joshua chapter 9. Centuries later, under King David's rule in 1 Samuel chapter 21, Israel experiences a drought from God because King Saul, his predecessor, who was dead at the time, because he had disregarded the vow that Joshua had made regarding these Gibeonites. As I said, a vow is a very serious matter with God. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walton.